Hello, this is Historically Thinking's Commonplace book for the week of September 16th, 2018. I'm Al Zambone. First, a little hurricane history. As Hurricane Florence continues to flood the Carolinas, moving at the breathtakingly slow pace of 14 miles an hour, it's worth remembering the 90th and 80th anniversaries this week of two of the worst recorded storms in U.S. history from back before hurricanes were named. On the 16th September 1928, the Okeechobee hurricane struck Florida. It had made its way up the Caribbean islands, struck uh, Puerto Rico, where more than 300 persons were killed by it, and then it came ashore on Florida at Palm Beach, which had just been founded 30 years before by Henry Flagler. There were, amazingly enough, only 50,000 people living in southern Florida, despite the great land boom of the early 1920s. Damage in Palm Beach County, where the hurricane struck, was severe, but its name comes from the greatest loss of life around Lake Okeechobee. There, the dam holding in the waters of the inland lake broke, and the region around it was flooded some places 20 feet deep. Over 2,500 people drowned, and that is almost certainly an underestimate. Many of them were immigrants from the Bahamas working in the fields around Okeechobee. They were unknown to the people around them. Their bodies were swept into the sawgrass and never found. Ten years later, perhaps an even more famous hurricane struck New England. The great New England hurricane of 1938 came ashore on Long Island September 21st, 1938. It had been tracked in the Caribbean and off the Florida coast, but since the National Weather Service had advised sailors to come in into port and they had taken the National Weather Service's advice, it ironically was not tracked at sea. So the New York office of the National Weather Service had no idea that this massive hurricane was approaching the Long Island coast. A few facts and statistics will bear out the awesomeness of this storm. Its speed at landfall was 47 miles per hour. In just 30 minutes, New York Harbor rose seven feet. Its peak storm surge was 17 feet above normal high tide when it came into Rhode Island. Its peak wave height was 50 feet at Gloucester, Massachusetts. 700 people or more were killed by the hurricane. The cost of the destruction was in modern uh, $2,010, approximately $41 billion. Also in this week in history, in the arts, September 16th, 1901, the French painter Paul Gauguin moved from Tahiti. It had gotten too crowded, didn't like the society there, and went to Atuona in the Marquesas Islands, which he thought would be uh, a haven of the primitive culture and art, which he so loved it wasn't. He would die there a few years later. And on September 22nd, 1869, Richard Wagner's opera Das Rheingold is heard for the first time at the National Theater in Munich. 
a work of tremendous importance in musical and cultural history, combining not just Wagner's music, but also his philosophical ideas, however sometimes trivial and disgusting, along with scene design to create a coherent work of art. Das Rangel is the first of his epic 15-hour Ring of the Nibelung, along with the Valkyrie, Siegfried, and the Twilight of the Gods, Götterdämmerung. Also on this day in high politics, uh, this week in high politics, on September 18, 1180, the 15-year-old Philippe II succeeded to the French throne after the death of his father Louis VII. Louis had gone on pilgrimage to the shrine of St. Thomas of Becket to pray for the health of his ailing son. And on his return, he himself got sick. And seemingly as part of the complications, he had an onset of Alzheimer's or some sort of senility and died very quickly over after a year's decline. He could not have imagined that his son, Philip, by the time he died, would be known as Augustus, perhaps the most consequential French monarch in the history of France. He brought the administration to line, uh, copied the bureaucracy of his Norman neighbors, put his immediate neighbors under French royal control, eventually took Normandy from the English kings, whose traditional land it was, and by the time of his death had unified much of what we consider modern France today. He patronized the University of Paris, made it into the great educational institution of its time, patronized the arts, the culture, the monasteries, the church. There was not an aspect of French society that Philip II did not somehow transform. And on September 17, 1787, the United States Constitution is signed by delegates at the Philadelphia Convention, now marked, thanks to congressional funding, as Constitution Day in many universities and colleges around the country. Here's the letter signed by George Washington to the Continental Congress from the Constitutional Convention, which perhaps deserves to be much better known. It was signed on September 17, 1787. Sir, we have now the honor to submit to the consideration of the United States in Congress assembled that Constitution which has appeared to us the most advisable. The friends of our country have long seen and desired that the power of making war, peace, and treaties that of levying money and regulating commerce and the correspondent executive and judicial authorities should be fully and effectually vested in the general government of the Union. But the impropriety of delegating such extensive trust to one body of men is evident. Hence results the necessity of a different organization. It is obviously impracticable in the federal government of these states to secure all rights of independent sovereignty to each and yet provide for the interest and safety of all. Individuals entering into society must give up a share of liberty to preserve the rest. The magnitude of the sacrifice must depend as well on situation and circumstance as on the object to be obtained. It is at all times difficult to draw with precision the line between those rights which must be surrendered and those which may be reserved, 
and on the present occasion this difficulty was increased by a difference among the several states as to their situation, extent, habits, and particular interests. In all our deliberations on the subject we kept steadily in our view that which appears to us the greatest interest of every true American, the consolidation of our union, in which has involved our prosperity, felicity, safety, perhaps our national existence. This important consideration, seriously and deeply impressed on our minds, led each state in the convention to be less rigid on points of inferior magnitude than might have been otherwise expected, and thus the Constitution, which we now present, is the result of a spirit of amity and of that mutual deference and concession which the peculiarity of our political situation rendered indispensable. That it will meet the full and entire approbation of every state is not perhaps to be expected, but each will doubtless consider that had our interests been alone consulted, the consequences might have been particularly disagreeable or injurious to others, that is liable to as few exceptions as could reasonably have been expected, we hope and believe, that it may be, promote the lasting welfare of that country so dear to us all and secure her freedom and happiness is our most ardent wish. With great respect, we have the honor to be, sir, your excellency's most obedient and humble servants, George Washington, president, by unanimous order of the convention. And that's all for the commonplace book this week of September 16th, right in the corner where you are.